All right. So um, I'm always really excited to, to speak about this message because it really gives me an opportunity to kind of uh, hit all of us because whether you're just going into the world like these guys and going into college and into um, military life and all the things that are going to be encompassed with that, you kind of leave the comforts of your home. You leave, um, you know, and you begin to, you begin to kind of realize what you truly believe. And you begin to kind of realize what you truly stand up for and what you truly stand against. And um, as the world begins to kind of entice you and give you um, tempting things and um, just makes your heart long for things that are outside of Jesus. And uh, there is a story in the Bible that I really wanted to uh, really kind of bring to life. But um, has anybody kind of know anyone who's obsessed about anything. They're obsessed about sports. They're upset. Someone laughs, so that means you do. <laughs> if you giggled, then you know someone who's obsessed with something. If you say, um, if, if you can think of that person, um, what are some things you know people, or maybe you could even be as bold to say you know you're obsessed with certain things. Anybody? What are some people that you know that are obsessed? Yes. Cleaning. She, she was kind of. She was kind of not sure if she wanted to say it. I'm obsessed about cleaning. So, so okay. And he's obsessed about football. All right. Anybody else obsessions? Yes. Chocolate. Said with some gusto. Chocolate. Good. You even kind of sang it. That was very nice. Uh, someone in the back, Jim. You got one. Food. Amen. Let's just think about that for a minute. Mm. See, that's, the good, that's what's really good about being a youth pastor is you get to go to all the grad parties. I eat free the whole summer. It's like oh, our grocery bill plummets. It's like nothing. So we're going on vacations all the time because we don't have nothing to eat in the house. But um, anyone else obsessions that you know that either you have or somebody else has? Yes. <laughs> Who would that be? Disc golf? I kind of am. Maybe, I guess you could call that an obsession with disc golf. That's good. All right. Cars. Obsessed with cars. Very good. Anyone else have a car obsession and you're willing to admit it? There's help. I'm telling you there's help. His name's Jesus. He will help you. Um, anyone else care to share and throw your significant other under the bus and tell them all about their obsessions? This is your chance to vent. This is your chance to... This is free counseling. Um, well, I, I just want you to know that... Um, there are things that we see that seem obsessive. There are things that we see in the world. When we see somebody go above and beyond the normal means, um, we're, and, and in our honoring our graduates, we're going to look at keeping Christ as our first love. Um, that's our main goal. Um, and, and, but some people, you, you see people act as Christians, and they, maybe they kind of, they, they're kind of almost too much. They're excessive. I don't know if you ever met someone where you're like, wow, that's a lot of Jesus from you. Holy moly. <laughs> Woo, man, you're going to knock me over with that much Jesus. And I say, I say that sometimes maybe that's so much Jesus, for, be, we're thinking that's too much because maybe we're lacking in some way. Or, or in some way and they're just blown away where we're kind of mediocre as it comes to Jesus. But um, I, there's a, something that uh, I wanted to kind of expose to you. Our, our pastor, before he met his wife, um, had a certain look he was going for. And um, you're going to have to forgive me for pulling this picture out of, out of um, but if you can put that first picture up there of our, uh, there he is right there. So that was, that was, that's before he met Kathleen. 
So let's just thank the Lord for Kathleen right now. Just thank you, Jesus. Because if he had not met her, this was what he was gunning for. Right there. That's what he was... Now, now let's just, just... I'm just kidding. That's not really our, our pastor. For those of you that are new, you're like, why didn't he stay like that? That is awesome. <laughs> what happened? So now, now let's be honest. This looks excessive, right? This looks obs- obsessive. This looks like people who took something and went way beyond. Um, now, that may not be the case for them, and I'm not knocking, you know, you can, that's cool for you. Um, I certainly won't be doing any of that anytime soon. Amen. So... But I want, but this looks excessive, except for the person who values it. And I want you to understand, this seems kind of weird to look at it like that, but there are certain things that, now you, you can go to the other slide there, because we probably don't want to look at that too much longer. We'll get scared. Children might cry. Um, so um, consider this, that as we look at this story, I'm going to show you and il- il- illustrate to you and show you in Scripture a woman who responds to Jesus in such a way that it, it doesn't make any sense to the people around them. And these were people who should have got it. And um, I'm hoping that it makes sense. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 7. Um, we, we won't have any notes today. I just want you to hear this and just kind of take it in. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open. Um, but if not, you can just listen. Uh, I'm going to go slow and speak slowly so you'll... You'll be okay. For those of you that take notes, it's still church. Okay? Just because there's no notes, this is still, Jesus is still here. It's okay. We're still using the Bible. All is good. All right, so check out this story. Um, this, is, this is kind of looking at obsession in a positive light. Uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. If you're reading, stop there. First of all, we have to understand who this person is. He's a Pharisee. Now, if you don't know anything about Pharisees, these are people who usually would have the um, whole first five books of the Bible memorized. It's called the Pentateuch. And they would have this, it's totally committed to memory. Pharisees were very um, highly esteemed religious scholars. And they would know and know very well the Old Testament. And they would be able to quote verses like this. I mean, they were just really quick on the gun. They would be able to know things. They, they'd memorized books of the Bible at a time. So this guy would also know the 300 plus prophecies that were talked about about Jesus. He, um, they would be well-adversed in the things of the Old Testament. Well-adversed. And this is an important thing to understand as we deal with, because here's Jesus, the whole point of the Old Testament, the whole idea behind the Old Testament is to tell us about the coming Messiah so that, what, so that we'll recognize him when he's there. And here's the coming Messiah in the house of a Pharisee who memorized the scriptures that talk about the coming Messiah. So it would seem, you know, it wouldn't seem that um, outlandish to think that he would recognize Jesus and know about this person that he's inviting um, but there's something significant that the Bible says about Pharisees. Um, Matthew 15, 8 through 9 says this, These people, talking about Pharisees, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It says their worship is a farce. Let's get that? Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as if they were commands from God. So he's basically, I mean, that would be, that's a pretty audacious comment to make. I mean, think about this. First of all, in the context of that verse in Matthew, they're in a crowd. So it's not just the Pharisees that he's talking to. He's talking to a whole group of people and singling out the Pharisees and exposing them publicly for who they really are. That's really crazy. That would be like Jesus walking into our church right now, pulling Pastor Barden and me up to the front and telling us publicly, guys, you aren't doing what I'm asking you to do. You think you're loving me, but you're not. You think you care about me, but you don't. You only care about yourselves and you're teaching things that you think are true, but they're not. 
That would be embarrassing. Can you imagine? We'd be up here like, Hi, guess no church next week. Gonna close the doors because no one's coming back after that. That's pretty embarrassing. And that's what he did publicly with these Pharisees. And so um, this is a pretty big deal. And Jesus is um, very serious about um, how he views his word himself and he wants people to be appropriate with it. Um, So this person, now the other side of this is that this Pharisee invited Jesus, invited Jesus to his house. Now there were some customary things that go along with that. And it's interesting because if you're inviting someone to your house, normally you're inviting somebody of higher esteem because you want people to see who's in your house. In this culture, it was very rare for somebody to invite somebody of lower rank, you know, exceptionally lower rank to your house. You wouldn't want to do that. That person would invite you and you would come as the honored guest. You'd kind of know that you're you're the top dog on campus in that house and they would, you know, do things for you. But there were three main greetings that someone would, uh, three main forms of etiquette that when someone enters your house. Number one, you would greet them with a kiss. Now, if they were, if they were of equal rank, you'd kiss them on the cheek. But if they were of, ex- of, of, of superior rank, something above you, you'd kiss their hand. And it would not be a mutual. See, an equal would be kiss cheek, cheek. You know, you both kiss your cheeks. But if they're of higher rank, if, if you're of higher rank than me, I would kiss your hand and you don't owe, the, owe me that obligation. That's from me to you because you're of a higher rank than me. So that's a very significant thing. And that's why, um, it's, you know, when someone would come to your house, you would invite somebody of higher rank and you would kiss their hand as they entered your house as an, as a, as an idea of honor. Thank you for coming to my house. You didn't have to, but you did. Thank you for coming to my house. I appreciate you taking the time to be here. That was the idea. Um, number two is washing of feet. This was a major thing. And not to be gross, but streets weren't clean like they are nowadays, okay? Even our dirt streets are cleaner than their streets back then. Their animals would just leave themselves on the road and let, they didn't have covered shoes like we have nowadays. They're walking around in sandals. So put two and two together, they're pretty stinky, okay? They smell like animal um, waste and they're walking into people's homes and, you would, and then that's why you would clean their feet. You would clean that off of their feet. And you would normally, here's two other ways to look at this too, if they were of equal rank um, or, 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 any type, or anything close to where you were, you, um, would, you would uh, have someone clean their feet for them. Your servant, you would, actually, you would usually have a maid servant or a, a bond servant, and they would clean their feet. However, if they were of supreme value, then you would clean their feet. You would take it upon yourself. You would take a towel, and you would say, I care that you're here. You are above me, and I'm going to clean your feet for you. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of humility. And so um, that was another way to distinguish that guest as a person of high honor in your, in your, in your presence. Um, now, the last thing is really cool. The last, this is only, and this was only reserved. The washing of the feet and the, and the kiss would normally happen at every occasion. But this, this last one was reserved for people of especially high rank when someone would enter the house and realize that this Pharisee who is, named, who is yet to be named, um, this Pharisee invited Jesus, who we know today to be of supreme rank, but clearly um, we're going to see this Pharisee did not understand this because if you are of supreme rank, you would take olive oil and you would anoint their head 
And what this was supposed to say is you are the honored guest. You are distinguished from every other person in this place. Everyone else needs to know that you are the one that stands out. And this was true because back in those days, they didn't have baths and showers like we do. (laughs) Stinky people. B.O. Like crazy. And they did not wash. Washing was oftentimes a commodity that was only offered to certain um, ranks of people. And so when you would walk into somebody's house, now Jesus as a carpenter would probably not have access to that. His family was not the richest family in town. So he would probably not have access to that. So um, if someone was to say, now if you walked into a house and you smelled the, the, the aroma of anointing oils, of olive oil, of someone being anointed, you would know that that person stands out from everyone else. That no matter who you're talking to, that's the guy you want to talk to because he's the one that's been distinguished and, and he's been the one that's been selected by the, by the host of the party as the, who knows everyone in the party because he's invited them all, who knows um, who should stand out. So those three things are pretty significant as we work through the rest of this story. Um, now let, let's look at some of the astounding events as they unfold. Uh, we're going to continue. It says, When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he, meaning Jesus, was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, and then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, I want you to understand that, first off, this woman is immoral, which literally is, is translated as a prostitute. So I want you to understand the picture here. They're having dinner. There's a religious ruler who is highly esteemed in the community, and this prostitute, a hooker, just walked into the house and started giving Jesus all of the honoring trademarks of a person of high honor right in front of the host who has not done any of it for Jesus. She just basically puts Jesus in the spotlight and she is in no place to do that because her lifestyle is sinful. That's what that means. A moral, um, an immoral woman was somebody whose lifestyle was all sinful. Her, her occupation was a sinful occupation. So then, listen to this. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And that's when he says she's a sinner, he's saying her lifestyle is sinful. Now, I want you to keep in mind, did anybody catch a little part in there? It says he said to himself. He didn't say it out loud. He thought it. I like it. Because then Jesus answered, it says the next verse, then Jesus answered his thoughts. <laughs> Can't hide from Jesus. You can think all you want. You, you can think all the things you want to think about people and you can think all the things you want to think about things and, and Jesus and he knows, he doesn't just know what comes out of our mouth. He knows what comes into our mind. And he says, Simon, aha, we have a name. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Now, remember, the Fer- Simon doesn't know that Jesus read his thoughts. He just, he's just thinking in his mind. So um, Jesus is basically setting him up because the, the, the Pharisee says, go ahead, teacher. He's thinking, you're going to say something amazing about me. You're going to rebuke this woman, and you're going to lift me up because he's thinking to himself, Does, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who this woman is. If Jesus was really what everyone thinks he is, if Jesus was really everything he says he is, then he would know who this woman is touching him and pouring perfume on him and, and kissing his feet with those nasty, immoral lips of hers. 
How dare she walk into my house and disrupt my dinner and make me look like a fool in front of all of my established guests? How dare her? And now Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he is about, and he's probably thinking, you're going to rebuke this woman and you're going to praise me. Jesus told him this story. A man loaded money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Debts. What or who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he goes into the coolest, just awesome rebuke. I love it. He says, then he turned to the woman. So the whole time, remember, he's looking at the woman. Now, I want you to think to yourself, what kind of glances do you think that woman received from everyone else in the house when she walked in? They know who she is. She's an immoral woman because he, and, and Simon knows who she is. She's well known among the community, obviously. So when she walks in, I want you to think to yourself, what type of glances is she receiving from all the other people in that house? Condemning, hateful, unforgiving, judgmental, just hurtful feelings. And you know when people are looking at you like that, you know what that, some of you may, may know what that feels like all too well when people look at you and they automatically attach some sort of emotional uh, state to your, to your being and they're, they're hateful and they're condemning. But he turned to the woman. So remember, the whole time he's talking to Simon, he's looking at the woman. This is really cool. And he says this, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she, has, but she has washed them with her tears and has wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I want you to understand something, that when Jesus says that, he is making a statement because anointing somebody with olive oil was reserved for superior rank. And when he says that, Simon, you didn't do that, he is, he is saying, Simon, you don't get it. I'm better than you. I'm bigger than you. I'm more glorious than you, and you need me. You need me, Simon. Not in, not in a, a pompous, arrogant way, but he's just establishing his rank for Simon, saying, Simon, I am of higher rank before you. Now Jesus loved Simon. He cared for Simon. And because he loved him and because he cared for him, he wanted to establish with Simon the proper order of things so that Simon wouldn't be able to get away with not receiving Christ as his savior as well. One of the most glorious things Jesus can ever do for any of us is to break down the walls of our superiority complex that we may have so that we can recognize him for who he is and fall at his feet and worship him like the God that he is. But everybody knows who this woman is. And here's Jesus, the one guy, the one guy who has the right to rebuke her of anyone in that room. And he actually uses her as an example of what Simon should have done. It's outlandish. She's a prostitute. She's a prostitute. She has sex for a living. He's a Bible scholar. He studies the Bible for a living. And Jesus uses the prostitute as the example for the Bible scholar. 
oh my gosh, people, Jesus is awesome. He knows exactly what to say at exactly the right time for everyone. Do you realize that both people in that room got a glimpse of who the real Jesus is? The woman got a glimpse of the love and care and the devotion of her Savior. And Simon got a glimpse of the king that he was supposed to be serving. So cool. In one glorious statement, in one glorious rebuke, both sides got a clear glimpse of who Jesus really is. And I wonder who we have in here. One, there's, probably one, there's probably both sides in here. There's probably some of you who are so attached to your scholarliness, who are so attached to your religiosity, who are so attached to your works that you offer them up to Jesus at the expense of loving and caring for others. And some of you find yourself in a place where you're so damaged and you're so used and you're so abused in this world that you don't understand how you could go to a loving, caring, devoted, committed, covenantal God you don't understand why he would love you because you've been hurt so, so drastically by this world. For both of you, I would say that Jesus wants to totally change your life. And for those of you that are leaving and going to school and those of you that are in the workplace and those of you that are already doing your, your thing, my hope is that nothing has robbed you of your love for God, that nothing has enticed you to chase after, that nothing has, has robbed you of that um, goal that prize being Jesus. Now, there's a a few things we need to mention about this woman that I need you to understand, to understand the significance of what just happened. Number one, women in that culture reserved taking their hair down for their husband. And it was seen as a sign of intimacy for a woman in public. They they did not take their hair down. So for for this woman, this immoral woman, to take her hair down before Jesus, what what she is saying is is symbolically, she's saying, I'm done. You're you're the guy that's going to protect me. You're the one. It's not a sensual or sexual indication. It's a, I'm giving myself to you. You own me. I trust you in my life. It's a sign of worship because she knew who Jesus was. He was the one that was going to save her. She had heard the stories and she busts into this guy's house just to meet him, just to worship him, just to give herself to him. The absence of a towel was no, and then not only that, but she, she washed his feet with that hair. That's pretty cool. The absence of a towel was no excuse for Jesus's feet to be left unwashed. Number two, um, females were very uninvolved in the greeting process. Um, if a male came to your house, there would be a male servant that would usually greet you and kiss you and, or wash your feet or, or, unless you were of high rank than the, the, the host of the house who was male would wash your feet. So for this woman to even be doing anything involved in the greeting process was unheard of. And she's kissing his feet. You already, I already told you what his, what his feet had covered on them from the streets of the culture that day. And she's kissing them. There wasn't a humble act that was too humble for her. There wasn't any, there wasn't a length that she would not go, it seems, to worship and to show her care and her devotion to her new established Jesus. Now, the alabaster jar that she wore around her neck, get this. That was usually a little flask with a little, with like, it looked like a necklace, and it was just a, t- a little flask, and this was expensive. And the reason why she would wear that is because she wanted to stand out from the crowd. Because uh, there's all their girls at the got. I mean, this is for her clients. She's a prostitute. 
So she's wearing this around her neck in order to smell good for guys to be attracted to her. And then she takes that which she was using to entice every man on the planet and she's taking the whole thing and dumping it on Jesus and saying, there's no other guys anymore. You're it. I'm dumping it all out on you. You're the one. That is insane and outlandish. And to the people in that house, it seemed extravagant. It seemed way beyond. It seemed excessive. And it even seemed disgusting because you even heard the thoughts of the Pharisees. If Jesus knew who this woman was, he'd know she was a sinner. And Jesus knew exactly who this woman was. He knew she was a sinner. And he accepted her worship. Can you believe that? What was once reserved for sexual acts with men was now offered as an, as, as an element of worship to Jesus. She gave that which was the most messed up and said, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. It's all she had to offer. That's all she had. She didn't have a glorious life. She didn't have Bible knowledge. She didn't have church attendance. She didn't have nothing. All she had was this flask of oil and, 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 and her heart to worship him. That's all she had and she gave it to him. She didn't know what else to do, so she gave it to him. Some of us are trying to muster up so much stuff to give to Jesus, and Jesus says, just give me what you have. I'm not asking for any more. Just give me your life. I'll make what I need to make out of it. Stop trying to impress me. I'm the one that wants to impress you with me. I want you to know who I am. I already know who you are. Now, the idea of this ex- word extravagant, I, I looked up this word, and I, and I never really realized this, but the word extravagant actually has a negative connotation. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, let me give you some of the definitions from the dictionary on the word extravagant. Spending much more than is necessary or wise. Interesting. Wasteful. Exceeding or wandering beyond the bounds of reason as far as actions, demands, opinions, or passions go. Have you ever seen somebody just go crazy on some topic and you're like, whoa, you know a lot about that. I'm going to go over here because I, I don't know what you just said. Somebody that's way outlandish in their opinions or just you can't even talk to them. They're just so brutal and so um, forceful. That would seem extravagant. That's what we kind of deem the word extravagant. It says going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. Going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. And number five, the last one here, is excessive as to attract praise or impress others. We almost, the, the definition of extravagant is attached to the idea that we want to impress other people with what we're doing. It's almost like we're going above and beyond what would be normal in order to attract praise from other people. Wow, look at how much that person gave. Whoa, they are giving a lot to the church. Woo, man. Wow, that person walked the whole country? Holy moly. You, know, you hear people that do these crazy acts, and then they're on the news, and you're like, man, that, and that seems extravagant. That seems like way too, can you imagine the time and effort and energy that was put into that? The general vibe behind this word is, is an expression motivated by the need or desire to impress others. But what's interesting is when you value something beyond what everyone else values it like, your acts and your behavior will look obsessive and extravagant. And because these guys did not see Jesus the way this woman saw Jesus, her acts and her behavior looked extravagant, but indeed they were not. They were simply the way a worshiper of Jesus responds when they, re- when they realize for the first time how much he cares for them. 
by highlighting the woman's actions, Jesus completely jabs Simon in a couple ways. Um, first, he publicly establishes his rank as superior to his to accuse him of neglecting these, customary, uh, these, these hospitable customs. He, ob- he makes obvious of his rank. Second, Jesus supports the seemingly wasteful outpouring of love and devotion by the woman as not only acceptable, but genuine and worthy of Jesus' attention. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Watch this. It gets better. He says, I tell you her sins, and they are many. He doesn't lighten it up. He doesn't pretend it's not as bad as it is. He says, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. Whoa, time out, Jesus. Wait a minute. Come on. Who do you think you are? You're, you can't just go around forgiving sins because this hooker walked into, your, into my house and, and started dumping oil on you that she used to use for all of her clients. That's, she's forgiven because of that? That act alone? I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Where's the sinner's prayer? I'm, wait a minute. What happened? I, I, did I miss something? Did, did, was there an altar she came to? I didn't see one. Did, she was kneeling at the time, but, and she was kissing your feet. But I didn't really, there's no altar. I don't understand. Nobody came and prayed. I don't get it. How is this possible? I tell you, it's, I don't, you, can, you, can, you can battle with it all you want, but it says it right there in, 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 in the scriptures. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. You see, Her sins had been forgiven and she responded in much love because she knew where she sat before Jesus outside of his forgiveness. But she knew that in Jesus, whole new life. Whatever Jesus had said that she heard, whatever parts of Jesus' sermons and Jesus' messages and Jesus' comments on the streets, however long it took, somehow, some way, in her mind, she knew that's the guy. My life's done. I'm going to him. I'm done living the life I'm living. I'm going to this guy, Jesus. I'm finding forgiveness, and I'm starting over. Then the men, set, the men at the table said among themselves, again, they said among themselves, they're all in their minds going, oh, they're steaming. They're so angry. Jesus, we study the Bible all the time, and you've used a prostitute as an example of how to be forgiven. I don't get it. He said, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? You see, in, you cannot forgive sins unless you're God. You cannot forgive, let me make this clear, you cannot forgive sins unless you're God. So what Jesus just said in front of the whole room, all the Pharisees, is that the God that you're looking for, that Messiah, the God that you study so much, that's me. I'm that God. And I have just told you that her sins are forgiven because I have the power to do that. And she has clearly expressed worship for me. She has clearly expressed an extravagant, committed, devoted um, response to my love. And Jesus said to the woman, looks right at her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And when he says go in peace, he's saying you are no longer in hostility before your God. That peace is indicating her relationship between her and God. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now here's the big picture. Simon, thinking he was of higher rank, get this, someone needs to hear this. I need to hear this. I would be more like the Simon in this picture than, than, than the woman. 
It says, um, Simon, thinking he was of higher rank than Jesus, didn't treat Jesus as he deserved. The woman, recognizing she was of lower rank than Jesus, lavishly humbled herself before him. Not only did she recognize her lower rank, but she acknowledged his superior rank. One of the biggest fears I have for those of you entering college, every year, I, I, the world is enticing. And the more and more and more you walk within it, the more it tells you, you have to gun it for yourself. Go after people. When I was in, when I was in engineering and I was in the workplace, I was asked to lie. I was asked to send phony emails. I was asked to change the date on my computer so that I could create an email so that it would look like I sent it on a certain date. And I said, no. And he said, I'm going to fire you. And I said, then you're going to have to fire me. And he didn't. But you're going to fight against things that are going to compromise, that could potentially compromise your faith. And the biggest thing I want you to know, the biggest thing I want you to think of is there is a God who has poured out. I'm, I don't want you to see this woman and think to yourself, I need to be like this woman because that would just put more works in your, in your lap. That would just tell you, I got to do better, do more, pray more, do this. What I want you to just get is that she saw Jesus as he truly is and she fell in love with him. She loved him with everything she had. It was a natural response when she was head over heels for Jesus. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus is called the anointed one because he is set apart from all other men, all other men. He is the one that has come to save us. Now, I want, I want to ask you, do you see Jesus that way? Is he a hobby or is he your savior? Is he good on Sunday? Something that, you know, your kids should really get to know because church is good and keeps you, you know, out of trouble? Or is, are you head over heels for him? Jesus will accept what you have to give him if we just want to give it to him. Now here's the difference between someone who makes a hobby out of Jesus and somebody who is a lover and a follower of Jesus. Number one, they become overwhelmingly aware that they have rejected God more profusely and offended him more deeply than they ever dared imagine. Do you get that? A person who was, you, this woman, she recognized and was overwhelmingly aware how far and how, how devastating her rejection of God was. However, she also became overwhelmingly aware that she was loved by God more lavishly and offered forgiveness from him more readily than she ever dared, ever dared dream. Her sin became in the forefront of her mind and then Jesus conquered it. She saw him as who he really was. If I can be boldly honest, the kingdom of God will never really become what it should be in this place if we are full of people who, 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 are, who, are, who are hobby Jesus followers. And one of the things that I think would be devastating is, to, is for those of you that are going away to school and those of us that are even already in the workplace and, and already doing our thing, if we allow those things to be the primary things that we chase after because they will achieve our hearts and they will achieve our affections. So as our worship team comes up, I just want to respond um, just as a way to acknowledge God's care, God's love. There's a fantastic song. 
um, that I just want to close with. And if you feel that you, at this point, you didn't even wreck, you didn't even realize that the part of you that was the most damaged is the part of you that God wants the most. Do you understand that? The part of you that is the most damaged is the part of you that God wants the most. You can't give him something so great that it would trump what God has already done. You can't outdo God. God has already done everything that needs to be done so that you and I can find fellowship with him. So stop trying to muster up something great to give him. Give him your broken self so that he can do something great within you. Does that make sense? Your brokenness is what he wants. Your pride is what he wants. Your arrogance is what he wants. Your hurts and pains, and anguishes, and anxieties. That's what he wants, because he wants to redeem them and restore you back to the original place that he wants you to be. He doesn't want you to muster up all the courage to get it done. He just wants you to come to him so that he can do something miraculous inside of you. If that doesn't just let the weight of your shoulders just go, man, God, you are amazing. I don't know what will. Knowing that God only wants the brokenness so that he can repair it really takes some of the edge off of feeling like I have to come to God with all these amazing things. Let's just stand and, and, and worship with this last song. And if you feel like you just need to come forward and spend some time with God at the altar, go for it. If you want to kneel at your seat or stay seated or do whatever you want to do as a response to God today, do it. Tell God in your own way, God, forgive me for the times that I try to come to you on my own terms and just shape me into who you want me to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just... Uh, worship you this morning. I pray that you would refresh us with the beauty of your spirit. I pray that you would refresh us with something that we've never even possibly experienced before. And that God, something that we've been trying to do for you would just kind of dissipate as we allow you to do what you need to do within us. God, as you convict us and as you comfort us at the same time, I don't let us get away with feeling like this isn't for us. Don't let us get away with thinking that this is for somebody else in this place. This can't be for me. I'm too far gone or I don't need you as much as they do. And God, everyone in this place needs you. So I just pray that our hearts would be open to receive whatever it is that you would have to speak to us. But that God, just like this immoral woman, who gave that which was reserved for sin to begin with and just gave it to you. She gave you her, her, her lifestyle, her disgusting lifestyle, God, and she gave it over to you to repair. And, and you received it. You accepted it. You didn't reject it in front of that whole place. Why, why would we think it'd be different now? Why would we think you'd reject us now? Why would we think that you wouldn't accept us in this place? this morning probably because we've bought into the lie that we don't deserve you God you've made it clear that you care for us by sending Jesus Jesus you've made it clear that you care for us by going so help us to receive you today in Jesus name
you believe that? Do you, do you believe that God loves you? Some of you, I know, I know it because in a crowd this big, it has to be true that some of you try so hard to achieve God's love that it's, it's draining, it's exhausting. And God, in his scriptures, Jesus says, when, when you're weary and burdened, you come to me. Some of you, so that you can get to God, you become weary and burdened. It's the polar opposite of what he's asked you to do. He says, come to me. And what's he give us? Rest. He gives you rest. Some of you are restless because you're doing everything but coming to him. This woman, she could not maintain her regrets. I'm sure she regretted every sinful act, every guy she ever attracted with that anointing oil that she put on herself, every bedroom, every place that she ever gave of her body that God created to bring glory to him. She brought glory to nothing but herself and sin and the enemy. I'm sure she regretted that the more it came to her mind of how devastating her sin was. But in the light of the love of God, she could not maintain those regrets because of how God loved her. She could, it, it, it trumped it. The love of God trumped her sinful lifestyle. Do you realize that the, that the love of God can trump your pride? The love of God can trump, in a moment, you don't have to walk around guilty. You don't have to walk around condemned. It says in the Bible that in Christ is no condemnation. In Christ, which means outside of him, bad news. In him, forgiveness. Outside of him, hell. In him, heaven. Outside of him, guilt. In, outside of him, guilt. Inside of him, grace. I don't know how else to put it. This woman saw his love and she threw caution at the wind and chased after her savior. She got it. If there is something that I could do for you today, I would hope that just giving you a glimpse of God's love would put your heart at rest so you would go so that you can go to him. Go to him. And find the rest you've been looking for by trying to achieve it yourself, by trying to work for it yourself. He loves you. Deal with it. I don't know how else to put it. It's just how God is. We're just going to close in prayer. And if, if you guys want to stay and pray and come up here and just sit in God's feet and I love the idea that the woman knelt before Jesus and just couldn't stop. From the moment she got in the house, she couldn't stop kissing his feet, Jesus told Simon. Since the moment she arrived, she's been kissing my feet. She just couldn't get enough. She just wanted to give God her life. He blew her away. Heavenly Father, I pray that your love, your grace, your mercy would completely, outlandishly, and extravagantly blow us away. That it would make us look almost silly in our response to you. That it wouldn't make sense. God, forgive us for the times when we try so hard to blend into a planet that so desperately needs to see people that are crazy about you. 
Forgive us for the times when we, when, when we are treating our faith in, in a way that just doesn't bring honor to you, God. But at the same time, thank you for your forgiving, caring response. Because at every moment we can return, at any day, at any hour, at any second, we can come to you and you have open arms to receive us back. I pray that we just come and rest in your forgiving, strong arms. Your arms are strong, God. They can hold us. The weight of us, God, they can hold. Help us to not be fearful. Help us to not be timid. Help us to be radical. Help us to be true and, and, and authentic in our chase after you, Jesus. I pray for anybody in here who just doesn't see how that's possible, that you would change their heart, God, that you would reveal yourself to them in such a way that the response would be just a natural response of outlandish worship. We love you, God. We love you, God. As we leave this place today, I just pray that you would remind us of who you are, that conversations that would happen today with family members and loved ones would bring honor to your name, and we would just be reminding each other of how great you are, that your, your name would come from our lips in such a way that people would see this amazing God, this amazing Savior, this great, glorious forgiver who is Jesus. We ask for this in your name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You guys may go in God's peace. If you'd like to stay and pray, the altars are open for you.